Mark Cuban. Going against the norm and, and looking for people who had great ideas is, is really what I look for as opposed to individuals mentoring me. David Stern. Thank you. Those are very kind and generous words. I greatly appreciate them, and thanks for having me on. Jeannie Buss. Thank you for having me. What a nice turnout. It's good to see everybody. Chris Everett. It was very interesting. You asked great questions, so thank you very much, Brian. Damian Lillard. That was for Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> Maria Taylor. Oh, thanks, Brian. I appreciate it. And your preparation shows you. Tim Howard. Well, I appreciate you saying I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Just to name a few. Welcome to Sports Business Radio. Now, here's Brian Berger. Well, thanks for joining us on this edition of Sports Business Radio. Happy Friday. Hope you're doing well. Hope you're staying home and staying safe. We've got a good show lined up for you today. Ian Ayer, he is the CEO of MLS expansion franchise Nashville SC. Has any club ever had more to endure in their first month of existence than Nashville FC? They barely got a stadium deal done before their first match. There was a devastating series of tornadoes that hits Nashville 48 hours after their first ever home match. And then two weeks later, COVID-19 shuts down the sports world. Ian Eyre is the former CEO of Premier League Club Liverpool. He's one of the sharpest CEOs in sports. Very candid. I think you're going to like our conversation. How is he helping his club navigate through these unprecedented times? How is he scenario planning for what may lie ahead? Join us on our conversation today. Molly Arbogast is my other guest, president and CEO of POV Sports Marketing. Molly's worked for the Philadelphia Eagles, the WNBA, Learfield Sports. She's a sports marketing and sponsorship expert. How are sports properties dealing with sponsors and how are sponsors dealing with sports properties during this time when there's no live sports? There's nowhere to activate. We're going to discuss the current sports marketing and sponsorship landscape with Molly on today's show. I'm joined via phone by executive producer Brian Griggs. Griggs, how are you? I'm doing good, man. And it's, uh, it's funny. My son walked in the studio the other couple days ago and asked, what day is it, Dad? And I'm like, I actually had to look and see. Oh, it's Wednesday. <laughs> and March seemed like 10 years. Like, I'm so happy it's April now because the month of March, I mean, remember a few weeks ago when we had Keith Foreman on, Sports Business Radio co-founder. It was March 11th. And he said something to the effect of 3-11-20 is going to be like 9-11-01. We're going to remember this date. Griggs, 3-11-20 seems like it was a year ago, and it was like three weeks ago. Yeah, it's just insane. How And we've talked about on the show how much stuff has happened literally within minutes, Every especially that first week, as you were saying with Keith at 3-11. It was like every five seconds you refreshed, something else was closed, something else was breaking, and it feels like March was a year. Yeah, I'm glad it's over. We're into April now, but we're getting a little bit of, you know, I always say on this show, read the tea leaves. Some of the tea leaves are being revealed. This week, Wimbledon and the Open Championships, both scheduled for like June, July, canceled. The city of Toronto, no public events until after June 30th at the earliest. So now, Griggs, here we are in April and major events are being canceled for June and July, that should tell us that we're still going to be staying home and we're not going to see live sports for a while more. 
Yeah, I kind of figured, I thought June 30th might be kind of where you thought stuff might start happening into July, but now you're seeing stuff even in like the open, I think is normally in July. That is uh, canceled now too. So it's, uh, I think it's going to, it's going to drag on through some of summer for sure. Now, some events like the open, they have an insurance policy. So in order to, you know, activate that insurance policy, they had to cancel by a certain date. So that was part of their decision. Uh, Wimbledon just thought it was the, the proper thing to do. You know, we're seeing, uh, Indy 500 and other events that are off in the distant future. Those are being postponed or canceled. So, you know, we wonder when are we going to get back on the field of play? That's part of what we talk about with Ian Error today, the CEO of Nashville SC. No one knows. That's the hard thing. Like no one can say right now, okay, definitively, the second week of July, all sports will resume. The thing with this, Griggs, is that it's hitting different parts of the world differently. So like right now, New York is a hot spot. Obviously, Italy was a hot spot. This started in China. That was a hot spot. Asia was a hot spot. We don't know how it's going to move across the rest of the world and when that's going to happen. So it's not like a one-size-fits-all scenario. We just have to kind of wait and, and see how it unfolds. Yeah, I think, you know, we as humans, we plan everything, we schedule everything, we organize everything. And this is one where, like you said, we literally do not know what's going to happen next or when we're going to be back to sports and when we're going to be back to normal life because nobody knows what's going on. I mean, you really can't put a definitive answer on what's happening. Now, I know it's really important to Adam Silver and the NBA that they be part of the recovery on this thing. And they lead the sports world back to the playing field or the playing court, so to speak. And one of the scenarios that's being discussed seriously right now, according to many sources, is the NBA playoffs taking place in Las Vegas. So everyone would be quarantined in Las Vegas. There would be no travel. You would play games. There would be shorter series, so maybe best of five. There might be even some single elimination. But everything would take place in that one central location. So you're not getting on airplanes. You're, you know, having medical personnel there. What do you think of that idea? It's really probably the best idea I've heard so far of getting a league started because it makes sense. I mean, if you're all there, everybody's in one spot and traveling is one of the big reasons this thing got spread. Obviously, it's how it got spread. So I think that's a key component is keeping everybody in one spot. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Again, there's not a solution that works for everyone, but what we've learned is different cities are impacted differently. So for the NBA playoffs, you could have, if there's 16 teams, you could have, you know, 16 different scenarios in those cities of where we are with, with COVID-19 and playing it in a central location seems to be the thing that makes the most sense. Obviously you've got the TV contracts that these leagues are trying to activate. You know, we know that April 23rd is the NFL draft. That's proceeding. Um, you know, I think the way they're going to do it, Griggs, which is a virtual event, you're not going to have players there on location shaking hands with Roger Goodell. You're not going to have, you know, the big crowds like we've seen in the past. It, it's literally just going to be the draft. The teams have to prepare differently. But as the consumer, I think people are looking for things like this so they can, you know, consume something that's happening in real time versus watching all the classic games, which are great. I watched 1991 World Series Game 7 Braves Twins the other night. Oh, my God. What a great game. That John Smoltz, uh, Jack Morris pitching matchup, that's a top five World Series game ever. But uh, we want some things that are happening now, right? Yeah, no, I agree. And I think you're right. Something new, something fresh. And that NFL draft's probably going to be the highest rated thing in a long time because of what's been going on. 
Now, I will say uh, I got a call from ESPN, the Ocho, recently, and they asked if my daughter and I, who had a live ping pong match on Twitter, on Periscope, <laughs> would be interested in uh, staging such a match for the Ocho. We're, we're contemplating it right now, but in all seriousness, we did bring you live ping pong from the Burger household on Thursday night. If you missed it, 23 minutes of gold, you can find it on my Twitter feed at SB Radio. Scroll down and you'll you'll see the live video of us playing ping pong. Uh, best two out of three match. So, Griggs, we're trying to give our audience some live content that they can consume. Well, you're talking about fresh and new content and riveting, epic content. That's 23, 23 minutes of solid, amazing tunage. <laughs> and there was a cameo appearance by our dog, Scotty, as well. So if you like dogs or pets or animals and, and cuteness, then... Uh, you know, in addition to my my wonderful daughter, you can see our dog Scotty. So check that out at SB Radio on Twitter. Griggs, in addition to today's two great guests, just a epic show coming up on Tuesday that I'll tease. Uh, Doctor Myron Roll. This guy is one of the most incredible human beings ever. He played three seasons in the NFL. He starred at Florida State as a defensive back. He's a Rhodes Scholar. But now he's a neurosurgeon at Mass General. He's a doctor. He's on the front lines fighting COVID-19. Uh, I'll bring you a conversation with him. Just, you know, if the NCAA ever needs the poster person for here's the student athlete, it's him. And if the NFL ever needs to show, like, here's a guy who transitioned from the NFL to post-career seamlessly, brilliantly, it's Dr. Myron Roll. So that's coming up on Tuesday. Also, a long-form interview with Mark Sanchez, former Jets quarterback, former star at USC. He's got a new podcast out. He's doing some really good things. He's an analyst for ESPN. How is he transitioning to post-career? Those are two great interviews lined up for you on Tuesday, so I'm excited to bring those to our audience, Griggs. Uh, yeah, credit to you, Berger. You have lined up some awesome interviews, and Tuesday's show is going to be epic. I love that you got a doctor on there, and like you said before we came on air, uh, he's a hero, and these doctors are heroes, and Sanchez kills it too, like 35 minutes of gold with Sanchez, so it's a good show for sure. And then next Friday, Midge Purse, who is on the U.S. Women's National Soccer Team, I will have her on, so uh, we'll talk about... Yeah, the Olympics obviously have been postponed a year. How is that going to impact her career? She plays in the NWSL. There's no live sports right now. How is she training? What is she doing? So Midge Purse will be my guest next Friday. So trying to line up the guests. We've got the home studio so I can do interviews anytime. Griggs, uh, I appreciate all your work too. You're killing it on the post-production end. It's great to be able to just email you the interviews and, uh, you're making it sound great. Thank you. And I think we got a pretty slick uh, setup going. The shows are sounding good and we're just putting out awesome content and uh, it's been fun. And we're up to number three in the sports news section on iTunes. So if you don't subscribe to the Sports Business Radio podcast, I would invite you to do so. All right. Coming up next, Ian Ayer. He is the CEO of MLS expansion franchise Nashville SC. He was the CEO of Premier League Club Liverpool. What a first month for his expansion franchise. How is he navigating through COVID-19? If you run a sports franchise or you work at a sports franchise, if you work anywhere in sports, I think you're going to find this conversation very helpful. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Nearly 20 years ago, Boingo dreamed of a world where people could connect to the wireless internet anywhere. 
with any device. Today, that dream is reality, and Boingo has been at the forefront. Now more than ever, staying connected is what matters most. Boingo keeps people connected to the people and things they love with next-generation networks built for the 5G era. They are the largest operator of indoor wireless networks in the U.S., and they work with sports teams across the NFL, NBA, MLS, NCAA, and more. From 5G and CBRS to DAZ and Wi-Fi, Boingo is a trusted partner for staying connected now and in the future. Our thanks to Boingo for their continued support of Sports Business Radio. Connectivity is more important than ever, and you can learn more by visiting boingo.com or emailing sbradio at boingo.com. That's sbradio at boingo.com. My guest is Ian Eyre. He is the CEO of Nashville SC of Major League Soccer. He's a former CEO and main board director of Premier League Club Liverpool. You can follow Nashville SC on Twitter at Nashville SC. Ian, thanks for joining us on Sports Business Radio. How are you? I'm good. Great to be here. Thank you. Yeah, I've been wanting to do this for a while. I've kept my eye on your franchise and the launch for months and months and I got to ask you, I mean, this has got to be one of the most challenging first months I've ever seen for a franchise. You get a stadium deal done right before the first match in franchise history. That was followed by tornadoes hitting Nashville 48 hours after your home opener, causing widespread devastation. Then COVID-19 shuts down the sports world in a way that we've never seen before. Are you just kind of shaking your head going, what's going on here? <laughs> Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a big boxing fan and I feel like, um, feel like some heavyweight fighter. You know, we just, every time we get up, somebody knocks us down and, but we get back up again. And, you know, as you said, we had a pretty challenging build up over the last two years, then got pretty close to the end and then had a big stadium issue, then got knocked down, but I got back up, fought our way through that, had an amazing opening game, uh, almost 60,000 people, then got, knocked down again by a tornado in the city and got back from that and then got, you know, another game on the road at Portland and then, um, and then got COVID-19. So it's been a challenge, but you know, it's sports, right? It's all about challenging and, you know, uh, fighting and getting through it. And that's what we'll do. So it's definitely been not the month that I would have predicted, hoped for or expected, but, um, but, you know, there are more important things in life, right? And, you know, as long as we're all safe and, and we get through this, then we'll all be good and ready to go again. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I wanted to have someone like you on, a CEO, because, you know, there's a lot of other CEOs that listen to this show who work across the sports world. And I think they're facing the same thing that you're facing right now. We've never seen anything like this before. How are you keeping your staff, your fans, your partners staying positive right now? Yeah, I think the key is, um, is communication. You know, it's, we're all in this together, right? We're, you know, it's a great leveler, these types of things. And I think the two things that we've been really, you know, focused on one is, you know, encouraging people to, to do the right thing, stay home, you know, be safe, but also trying to maintain a, a strong level of communication with, with all of those groups that you, that you mentioned and that, you know, for the staff and players, it's about regular communication with, you know, making them feel engaged, still feeling part of the group, even though they're all kind of isolated individually. 
making sure that everybody's busy, um, whether that's, you know, in some areas, our business is literally ground to a halt. Um, so some people have less to do than others. And so we're trying to find innovative ways to have them work on things or keep them engaged, get them involved in other things that they may not typically be involved in so that they're keeping themselves mentally active as well as kind of socially integrated. And, you know, these are important things. And then with our partners, sponsors and, and, and everyone else, you know, fans really reaching out and keeping, you know, our, our content team is doing an incredible job of, you know, getting players and, and staff involved in and, and fans involved in creating content that keeps us all talking about soccer and National Soccer Club. Um, and with partners, you know, in, in, involving them in that, you know, so doing some fun things with them. I have, a, I have an Instagram live um, session to do this evening with our uh, with our fans where we're doing a happy hour. So drinking some beers from one of our beer partners, Fat Bottom Brewery in Nashville and, you know, having a beer and answering questions with fans. And it's those types of things that they seem like small things, but when you put them all together, it gives some level of social and mental engagement for everybody. And I think that's the right way through. You've got to, you know, we all love sports and sports teams because we feel part of that family and that, you know, that, that program. And, and it's important to keep that going even through these difficult moments. I have seen your happy hours and I love them. And it looks like you're, you're well stocked when you have them, which is really good. Your, your beer partner's a good one. They're putting some, some uh, good beers in front of you. Um, what kind of questions are you getting from fans and from sponsors right now? Uh, I think I think the biggest question on everyone's mind, and, and unfortunately the one we don't know the answer to, is when is it coming back? Right, right. right. Because we miss it, right? It's like you know we need our our sports fix every day or every couple of minutes for some people. So obviously we, nobody knows the answer to that. I think that. The one consistent message that Major League Soccer uh, is pushing hard and rightly so across all channels is, is that, you know, we will be back. And I think that's, you know, it's an obvious thing, but, but in some, in some areas of business, you know, that's not as easy for other people to say. I think some people have lost their jobs, their livelihoods, and in some cases their businesses, you know, because of the, the devastation, you know, financially and, and for that reason, you know, it's hard for a lot of people, but at least we know that at some point we will be back. At least we know that sport will return, life will return to some level of normality. And, you know, so we're really working hard to keep that message going that we will be back. We don't know when yet. We don't know what that looks like because the time left in the year or what have you will dictate much of that. But we're trying to remain hugely positive about that we're trying to keep everybody focused on that you know we built this thing to come and compete we built this thing to have a lot of fun we beat this built this thing so that everybody could come and enjoy it and none of that changes it's just a matter of when we can press you know play again rather than pause are you doing scenario planning for instance wimbledon canceled this week first time since world war ii Toronto has said no public events until June 30th. Some of the executives I've talked to, like you said, no one has any idea when this is going to end and when we can play sports again. But what they are doing is they're scenario planning for what if we miss this many games? What if we miss this many games? Or worst case scenario, what if we have to cancel the season and, you know, come back for, for 2021? Are you looking at all the scenarios right now? 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, any, you know, any business, any CEO, any industry or, or, you know, league as we are collectively, if you're not doing that, then I think you're being irresponsible. You know, it's a, it, you have to be responsible. I was in the military for 10 years and, you know, and planning is everything. Mm. You know, preparation is everything. And so we are, we are modeling every scenario, whether it's from a, game planning and, and match organization point of view, whether it's a financial model and all, all of the different parts, we're modeling all of them. And that, that should make people feel, oh, you know, they don't think it's going to, this is going to happen or that it, it's really about being ready for anything. Um, and, you know, as I say, I, I grew up in a very core management process of being super prepared because of course in the military, um, it's real, you know, it, it, the stakes are higher often, so um, so I'm a big believer in effective planning and organization, and we're doing all of that on a daily basis. Yeah, and the other challenge with this, so there's the unknown of, of when might the game start again, but then different parts of the country are experiencing this differently. For instance, Nashville isn't as big of a hot spot right now as New York City is. And Los Angeles, and it seems like the the densely populated cities are being hit harder by this. So it's not a one size fits all where you can say, okay, the slate is clean. Everyone in the United States, we can, you know, resume normal life again. It might be a scenario where you have to play neutral games or you, you're playing matches in a in a different way than you normally would because everyone's not on the same playing field, so to speak. Oh, definitely. And that's a conversation again that, that we've all discussed, you know, on mass and, and it will be one of the scenario planning solutions is what if this region or this area can't play in that region or area? You know, where, where would you have neutral locations? What would that look like? How do you create matchups and fairness and at least the best level of equality that you can in that scenario? And, you just have to plan for all of them, you know, and like I said before, it it isn't you're not planning it because you think it'll happen or you want it to happen. You plan plan it to make sure you're prepared in that eventuality. So the secret to this is is to make sure that we get this thing back on on the road and back, you know, back in stadiums and um and there may be many different cuts of that to get back to real normal, whatever that is. Um but if if you don't plan for it you're almost never going to achieve it so um but you're right to say it you know that that's definitely one scenario that's been planned for do you think i i nfl and nba you know they have billions of dollars in their their war chest so to speak major league soccer doesn't have as much money as nba and nfl all kinds of scenarios have been discussed even playing games or matches with no fans you know again Hard to, to speculate, but it seems like if this is going on and it's impacting lots of people, maybe playing the matches with no fans in attendance. I see the NBA is looking at playing potentially in Las Vegas in front of no fans. Is that on the table too? Uh, I don't think it's, I don't think anything's on the table in the sense that let's do this. I think it's the same thing that you, you plan for that eventuality. I think right. first and foremost, first and foremost, the, the number one objective has to be safety for everybody, right? Whether that's fans or players. Um, once you believe that it's safe 
and everybody else believes that it's safe for players to play, let's say, in some sterile environment, if that's possible, then you should plan for that. You know, But I think if I'm a soccer fan, which I am, then first and foremost, I want to see soccer matches being played. Of course, you know, games without fans is not on, every, on anybody's list of what I'd like to have. But if it's the only choice at some point, and maybe that's the early phases of a return, then you have to consider it. But, but it's, you know, again, I don't know what that looks like. I don't know how you, you know, ensure the safety of, you know, a squad of players against another squad of players in a physical contest. You know, you've got to have the right environment. You've got to have the right level of testing. You've got to be sure they're all safe, you know, so we, we can't treat players any differently than anyone else. Everybody has to be a hundred percent certain that they, um, you know, that they are safe and then them going back to their families is safe. So who knows? I, I think we can guess at it all we want. I think it as long as as long as people are convinced that the that the solution you provide is one that is the safest solution for everybody involved, then then I'm good with it. But I think that has to be the paramount consideration at this stage. I've been asking everyone this the last few weeks who's joined me on this show. What is your work from home setup like? Because we're all working from home now. Like I'm recording this in my home. I usually have a studio that I go to and it's nice, fancy, soundproof. Now I'm in my home office recording my interviews. So things have changed for me. How have they changed for you and what's your setup? Uh, my setup's nice, actually. I have, a, I have a beautiful home in Franklin, just outside of Nashville. And um, I really, actually, even before I moved to the US, I had a really nice office in my home in, in Liverpool. Um, I actually like, I mean, I wouldn't choose to work for me if I was with my team, but I like the environment. I've got some nice furniture and pictures on the wall that I really enjoy and, and some art and stuff. So, I, you know, I... Look, I would never choose to do it, but I can't complain about the environment. It's, it's nice and relaxing, and my dog keeps coming and kind of, you know, it's, it's a bit like the staff knocking on your door every thirty. <laughs> Give me a treat. Every 30, yeah, he's coming every thirty seconds for a stroke. So, I think it's <laughs> very apparent that the big winners of all of this are the pets, because so, they have their owners at home now, right? Yeah, absolutely. He thinks that's the best thing ever, but. Uh, but yeah, he's, uh, he's probably my only member of staff that's this close at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably a good thing. I mean, it's good that we're all staying home and washing our hands and, and all of that. Are you doing most of your communications via Zoom? Are you on phone calls? How is that uh, orchestrated for you? Uh, all of the above, really. Yeah. I mean, um, did a, did a call with our, with some of my fellow, uh, CEOs and presidents yesterday, a smaller group of us just catching up on Zoom and, you know, managed to change my, uh, my background to a sunny beach in, I think it was Hawaii or something and put on my Hawaiian shirt. And, you know, <laughs> I love just, it. Just, you know, it's just, listen, you gotta, you know, you gotta have a bit of fun, right? And exactly. Trying times and it's important to keep your sense of humor. But, um, no, I think that's, you know, I was watching the news this morning and there was a big piece about Zoom and just how important they and other similar, you know, video-based calls, uh, apps and systems are, are, are proving their value right now because it's it's one thing to be on calls all day, um, which which we all are, but 
to actually see other people that you know and recognize there's some level of value to that i think you know christina said to me this morning i didn't sound as as jovial as i often do and and i think that's part of it i think the human contact piece is tough right i'm a people person and if you're not um, seeing and spending time with people closely on a regular basis it's tough i think it's tough for everybody and um and so you know the video conferencing is a, a small window into that but um but but we're doing a little bit of everything calls text um video calls and, and email obviously what are the top three items on your to-do list right now i mean i know we've talked about some of them but you know as you wake up this morning what's on your to-do list uh, first one was I had to go on some podcast with some guy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, really, I, I, you know, first one's work out. Second one is, um, you know, I think I, I'm really bothered's the wrong word. I'm really need to, you know, I really feel that uh, engagement's really important mm-hmm. for our team and our group. And, you know, first and foremost, the staff in my team. And, and, you know, I, I was, communicating with some some of my senior team this morning about ensuring that we a, make sure everybody has enough engagement on a very regular basis and then looking at solutions, continuing to look at solutions that, that can provide other things for people to do other than just um, just work, you know. So if we don't have enough work in some areas, what else can we have those people do? Can we involve them in other parts of our business? Um, or we can find other things. I run a, a daily quiz with my staff, which goes out usually about 7 a.m. and they have to get back to me, which is a bit of fun. Um, but you know, it's, it's, it's just, it's just another way of when they normally would go and sit in the break room and have lunch and chat with their friends. Then maybe they sat at home on their own in a lot of cases. And, you know, maybe it's a bit of fun to do the quiz or whatever it might be that we send out. Um, but you do have to find different ways. And, and so I'd say that is second on my list. And then today, um, I also have a call, uh, with a few of our, our partners, our sponsors, um, just to catch up with their CEOs and see how they're coping in the, in the process and make sure if there's anything we can do to help them that we do it and, um, really just keeping, you know, good human contact with them. So that, that's my day to day and it's different every day, but, Certainly not, not, not busy. I, you know, I, I was saying to somebody earlier that I, I feel like I'm as busy as I ever am. It's just kind of doing it all by phone. Right. Uh, of some sort. So, but, but definitely keeping busy. What's the daily quiz question today? Today is TV cop shows. So. Oh, I love that. 20, 24 images, I think, today. Uh, of, of different cops, you know, scenes from different cop shows. TV cop shows and you have to guess them and then a bonus question for the final cop show image that has some relation to two Premier League soccer teams so there you go that's great I love that idea yesterday was yesterday was food and drink uh, pictures the day before was I can't remember Um, but yeah do something different every day and it's a bit of fun you know and just uh, we're having a lot of fun with it anyway. So I read that you're a guitar playing, motorcycle riding executive. What attracted you to the job in Nashville? Well, I, that, all of that is true. <laughs> uh, I would probably preface it with a, 
very average guitar player, <laughs> uh, but very good motorcycle rider. Well, there you go. You make up for it. Yeah, exactly. Um, what attracted me, and it was a few things, really. The, the first was, um, honestly, and it, this will sound like I'm sucking up, but our owner, um, when I met him, he's a truly incredible man and human being. And, and you know, I'm 56. I'll be 57 in a couple of weeks. And, you know, when you get to my age, you start being very choosy about who you want to work with. Right. Uh, and you're know, very fortunate to have the choice to some level. And, and he's an incredible man, and I and I just warmed to him very quickly when I met him, um, John Ingram. So, so that was right up there at the top. And then um, I think the opportunity to come and build, you know, who gets to build a whole sports franchise or a whole team or club from the ground up? You know, literally from a blank sheet of paper. And if you do what I do and have done for many years in sport, then. That's the ultimate challenge, I think. You know, in my time at Liverpool, which I enjoyed immensely, and it's my hometown team, um, I had an incredible 10 years kind of rebuilding Liverpool because uh, it was in a bit of a sorry state and, and, and was very proud of that work. But but to do this is another level in, in to some degree. You know, people were always surprised that I came to Nashville um, having left Liverpool. But, but for me, it's a very different challenge because you get to work on every facet of building this thing um that was second then the third was the place you know i i'm i love sort of living in different countries i love different cultures i lived in malaysia hong kong china germany spain so 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 i love that kind of mixed culture and and you know coming to nashville great city great people great energy very outdoors where i live um, so yeah, it ticked all the boxes for me. So they, they were the bits that dragged me in and, uh, absolutely love the place. Soccer is religion in Liverpool where you're from. Uh, I know you guys have used the phrase uniquely Nashville in your marketing campaigns in Nashville. What kind of a soccer market is Nashville? It's, uh, it's interesting. You know, I, I, I asked myself that question, uh, when we started this journey and I don't think I really knew the answer. And what I would say is it's, uh, it, it's a really interesting city. It's got so, I mean, obviously everybody knows it's kind of music heritage and, you know, and that, and that kind of, uh, southern sort of style. But, but I think it's sports teams have a different edge for me. You know, if you look at what, Folks that the Predators have done over many years, um, national Predators in hockey. You know, when, you know, our owner, John, who I mentioned earlier, said to me when I first started, he said that, you know, just to put this in perspective, he said, you know, 20 years ago, they couldn't even spell hockey in, in Nashville. And we went to a Preds game during my first visit. I was in the Stanley Cup uh, a couple of years ago. And I mean, the place was absolutely bouncing, you know, it was rocking and, Outside on the street was like 10,000 people watching the game on a big screen. And, and he's like, this is created literally from nothing, you know, like similar to the journey we've just started, which is, you know, here's a sport that has no tradition whatsoever in, in Nashville. Um, and they built that thing up and now you go there and it's like this huge kind of hockey show rather than just about hockey and, Incredible support, and that's Nashville. You know, people. I, I use this phrase: Nashville comes out for Nashville, and shows up for Nashville, and and that's what we've seen. You know, we 
started our USL experience for a couple of years. I think Michelle sold the most season tickets of any season, any inaugural season of, of USL teams. And we obviously start our, our MLS journey. We bring give or take 60,000 people to the opening game. It's just Nashville loves sports and I think it was voted number one sports city recently in some survey. So it's just a kind of cool town where people love to have fun. And it's not easy because there's a lot to do. You know, there's a big name concert, it feels, every night somewhere or big sports event somewhere or big, you know, other events somewhere. So there's a lot of space to share between us. But, but you know, we're finding incredible energy. We have a brilliant supporters group, the Backline, which is a collective of all of the individual groups that formed and, you know, we have great engagement with them. We have really good support from them. They're super, super people who like love what we're doing. We love what they're doing. And yeah, and it's the Nashville way. It's, as you said, it's, you know, we say it's uniquely Nashville because, you know, we all get along and we all kind of feel like we're all trying to do this thing together. And so far that, you know, apart from the stop start, so far all of the, all of the, goals and barriers we've set ourselves we've smashed through so long may that continue just a couple more questions i know that you are building a new soccer only stadium you're playing a nissan stadium until then how does that get impacted i know you know some people are able to continue construction of stadiums other people are not it's not an essential thing in some places is construction continuing for your stadium or have they had to pause it yeah yeah no, it's all going along uh, as planned. Um, we're in the demolition of the site phase. Um, and I spoke to the guys running that for us a couple of days ago. They're all on track, so so no delays. Um, they're not restricted um, in terms of the work they're doing, and that's flowing along very nicely. And, you know, that runs through pretty much till June, the site preparation. So we'll start construction around that sort of time. Um, so, so in a, you know, in a positive out of many negatives, um, stadium is not something that we're, you know, got any concern about at the moment. We're, we're pushing that along after some delays earlier in the year. Um, feels like it's the one, one sort of beacon of light, if you like, in a difficult time. And it's going to be incredible. You know, as you said, it will be the largest soccer specific stadium in the U.S. Um, again, uniquely Nashville, the design materials we chose purposely and, you know, to, for it to fit into that neighborhood. We're, we're going to be the new, new neighbors in town in that area and have the biggest house in the neighborhood. So we thought we'd better make it look like <laughs> we should be there and we've always been there. So it's, I think people, it's hard from renderings for people to get a real sense, but I think when it comes to life and starts to come, come out the ground, people will be genuinely excited about it. Yeah, I used to work for the Portland Trailblazers, and I was part of the team that helped create the arena that they have now, the Moda Center. So, you know, I, I traveled around the country, looked at the best arenas, brought what we thought worked at those back and, and innovative into our arena. So, you know, like you said earlier in the conversation, when you can build something from, you know, a blank sheet of paper, it's kind of exciting to be able to put your fingerprints on that. And every time we drive by the arena now, my daughter and I, you know, I can say, hey, dad had a little hand in, in how that thing turned out. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, that's, again, that's part of the attraction. And I think you have to have 
it's important to have a certain level of humility as well. You know, it's not about what you want. It's about what Nashville wants and it's about what is what will work in Nashville, right? So, you know, a big part of what I've had to do in the last two years is I have a lot of experience in, in this sport and sports generally, but, but relatively little experience in the US or in MLS. So, so it's about localizing your own experience and bringing, as you said, it's about taking best practice from other teams in MLS or the teams in other sports in the US and around the world, other stadiums and, and trying to find the right things that work in your market or, and that, that builds something unique, but, but really special and, and, you know, something that people love to come to. Last question for you. You mentioned earlier in the conversation about the great work that your social media team is doing with content and communicating, you know, with your athletes, your coaches during this time. I, I see you've been doing the happy hours like we discussed. I'm watching a lot of leagues, teams, athletes, brands right now to see how they're activating on social. For instance, my daughter and I watched uh, James Corden the other night, and he did the Home Fest, and they've got yeah. you know Billie Eilish and Dua Lipa and John Legend, and they're all playing concerts essentially from their homes. I thought, wow, that's really cool. Uh, what are you noticing right now when you're on social media? Who's doing a good job in your opinion? I think there's so much of it, right? I think it comes down to your individual taste. I think TikTok's taken on another life, right? Um, Have you done a TikTok yet? <laughs> no, I definitely haven't, and there's no plans to do that. Uh, I'm going to talk to Christina. We need to we need to get you doing a TikTok. <laughs> now that would yeah, get a lot not, of views. That you know that would get a lot of views. Yeah, not for a good reason. I'm not sure. <laughs> you I and your think, dog uh, can do a TikTok. I saw um, I saw Alex Oxlade Chamberlain, one of the former players at Liverpool. Um, I saw him and his his wife or girlfriend, who who's in a in a girl band. Um, they did a, a really cool dance thing, which was like just went nuts. And I've seen so many other people doing that now. And um, and I think I think it's different for different people. Like I said, it depends what you're looking for, right? Depends what your interests are. I think that. You know, I was watching something we did yesterday, which cracked me up, which was um, we had our players doing impressions of other players and the coach. Uh, and one of our players doing an impression of our coach, Gary Smith, which was very funny. <laughs> and I loved at the end that he said, please don't use that. And obviously we did. Um, so he, he's in big trouble, I'm sure. Oh, boy. Um, and I think it's just, like I say, I think it's just, you know, I've, I've been I've been watching way too much sort of motorcycle type content on, you know, and it's just, you know, what whatever your interests are is where you go. And um, I have a bunch of buddies here in Nashville who I hang out with, and we, you know, we've been sharing lots of different content. I love all the funny videos and memes that people are doing, um, you know, just because it kind of makes you laugh at a point when you don't really feel like laughing very often. Best place you've ever ridden your motorcycle? Ooh, um, best place. I did, uh, I did a ride from, um, from, I took a ferry from, uh, Portsmouth in England to Santander in Spain. And then I, I have a house in the south of Spain. Wow. In Alicante. And I rode it from the top to the bottom and, um, over a week or so. And, um, and what I did was, was a, there's a um, series of hotels which are built in former Moorish castles, 
And so I rode from castle to castle, stayed in the castle each night, rode my motorcycle all the way down through the center of Spain, which was incredible. That sounds like the trip of a lifetime. That is amazing. Yeah. It was one of them. Yeah. I've done a few, but, uh, but that would be the highlight. I have to say that because, you know, as you know, Christina, our PR person, Spanish, so she would give me a lot of trouble if I chose any other country. That's right. I think she's going to be waiting for an invitation to your house in Spain now. <laughs> Ian Eyre, no the problem. CEO of Nashville SC of Major League Soccer. You can find Nashville SC on Twitter at Nashville SC. They're putting out some great content. Ian, thank you so much for joining me. Like I said, uh, I've wanted to catch up with you for a while. Heard great things about you. I think you're doing a great job given the circumstances of, uh, you know, where we are in the world. And I know that people listening to this will find lots of good advice that you gave today. So thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it and hope everyone's staying safe. Thank you. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. If you're working from home now like I am, you still need to look professional. Many of us are doing Zoom conferences or FaceTime calls with business associates. That's why I turn to my Mizzen and Main dress shirts. I need to look good from the waist up, but I also want to be comfortable. Mizzen and Main is like athletic wear disguised as a dress shirt, making them great for comfort while working from home. It's a shirt that has worked for thousands of customers, including hundreds of professional athletes like J.J. Watt and Phil Mickelson. Head on over to MizzenandMain.com and use promo code SBR to get $10 off your dress shirt. That's MizzenandMain.com code SBR. Guess what? Mizzen and Main also make super comfortable wrinkle-free pants and shorts, so you can check those out as well. Head on over to MizzenandMain.com. Use promo code SBR to get $10 off your next purchase. That's MizzenandMain.com, code SBR. My guest is Molly Arbogast. She is the president and CEO of POV Sports Marketing, has a lot of great senior experience with the Philadelphia Eagles, Learfield Sports, the WNBA, Palace Sports and Entertainment, and IMG. You can follow her on Twitter at Molly Arbogast1. Molly, thanks for joining me on Sports Business Radio. How are you? I'm great, Brian. Thanks so much for having me. I really wanted to have someone like you on at this time because obviously we've never been through anything like this today. Like, you know, Wimbledon just canceled this morning. Um, leagues are shut down, sports are shut down. So I wanted to have a conversation with you about two basic things. One, if you're advising a brand or a sponsor of a sporting property, what would you advise them on right now? And we can get into that. And then I want to flip that around. If you're the sports property and you're trying mm-hmm. to deal with the brands who are sponsoring your property and there's nothing to deliver to them right now as far as games are concerned or Olympics or anything like that. I'd love to get your thoughts. So let's start with if you were representing a brand and, and for the, mm-hmm. for the case of this conversation, let's say you're representing a brand that was going to be activating at the Tokyo 2020 Olympics. Where do you start with them? I mean, again, there's no roadmap yeah. for this, but where do you even begin? <clears throat> I think that. Besides the partners of the NCAA, the Olympic sponsors, the IOC, USOPC partners, are really some of the hardest to be hit right now because they're, the make-good opportunity is obviously, in the case of March Madness, non-existent. In the case of Tokyo being pushed off a year, so while it's a very bitter pill, 
it's one of those things that uh, hopefully we can resurrect our campaigns and plans. When you look at what the Olympic partners have gone through, you know, in the middle of April here, we were 100 days to Tokyo, and that tends to be kind of a launch date for a lot of different campaigns on digital, social, um, and broadcast television. And all of that production is done with athletes who were, you know, hopefuls, but probably more shoe-ins in their respective um, NGBs for the team. And so all of that production has now has to be shelved. And it's, it's sad. It's sad for the athletes. It's sad for the brands. It's sad for all the people working on the Olympics, both at the country level, as well as, you know, the folks on the ground in Tokyo, bringing this all to life. So I think that's one of the hardest things to look at is, um, you know, their ability to get that value back um, because of the fact that if they shot content around a specific athlete who decides that they are now going to retire or they are going to not going to potentially be at peak um, performance for Tokyo in a year. We all know that a year in an athlete's life is impactful. It's mm-hmm. a long, it's a long time to stay healthy, stay in peak performance. And so a lot of that, uh, that campaign base may go away. You know, you might not be able to use that video content. Um, I'm, I will spin it though. And I will say that I think the silver lining on this is that, the NGBs, the USOPC, have another year to engage brands in a conversation around the Olympics. And I think you might have an actual a patriotic buying boom around wanting to support the athletes who stayed disciplined, who stayed focused, um, who have the grit and the persistence to compete at that ultimate high level another year. And I think that can be a really powerful brand story. And so I think our brand narrative around sports is going to change a lot in the next year because what we thought was funny or engaging content back in the fall of 2019 or earlier this year in Q1 around NBA, NHL, um, so on and so forth, that was, it's might not, the market might not be ready in the next 10 months. Um, they want levity, but you have to be very cautious. And for brands, I think some will err on the side of caution and use their sports messaging to focus more on um, first responders supporting the American people and people who were impacted by this this uh, this crisis. But Olympic folks, I, I really feel for them um, and the brands that have uh, spent so much time planning that they have to essentially wait a year to be able to bring this all to life. And uh, you know, their marketing is the first asset to or first but line item to be cut from a budget. And so you have all that money wrapped up in the Olympics that you now can't put against bottom line performance. And that's a, that's a real blow for brands who were counting on lift, who now will not see that lift in July, August of this year. Is there anything they can do to salvage the social content that they have? For instance, you know, I'm seeing companies who are completely changing their narrative right now, whether it's we're going to give you, you know, financing for 84 months on a car, zero down, or, you know, we're here to offer you this during this difficult time. Is there anything that these sponsors can do using that content, or is it completely inappropriate at this point to use any Olympic content for a campaign? I think where we sit today, it's tone deaf. Yeah. I think it doesn't need to be tone deaf potentially in September. And the reason I know that sounds kind of out of left field, but the point is, is that if you were going to be starting to push your journey to Tokyo restarts, right? So how do you take some of that content, repurpose it with a terrific editor, and really say, and maybe shoot some incremental content in the fall to say, what was it like for these athletes to have this dream taken away? 
and chronicle that experience for them, weaving in, again, the brand DNA and the brand story to bring, like, tremendous content. I mean, it's so sad to say that out of this very dark time, I think you're going to ultimately have great content that's released later, but not now, um, showing how teams, how leagues, how organizations are helping and supporting the people that are on the front lines. But talking about it now looks like you're just trying to get credit for bringing it to light and reflecting positively on your brand, and I think that would backfire. However, I think later in September or October to say, we were there as a brand supporting people and then kind of saying, look, we did a couple of these things and being very gracious and cautious about how it's produced. I think that that can be well-received because um, brands can salute unsung heroes with the partner, the team partners that they have or the Olympic partners that they have, uh, but they need to be careful to make sure that they don't um, – they don't uh, steal the focus for where the gratitude really should be, which is people that are uh, keeping us safe right now, making really difficult decisions um, for the, the public good. The other person I've been thinking about right now, this is kind of random, but I was thinking about Alex Morgan yesterday. I saw her on the cover of, I think it was Glamour magazine. And, you know, she's very pregnant looking in the, in the photo. And I thought to myself, you know what? There was no way she was going to be able to play this year. But maybe next year, an athlete yeah. like her comes into play. You know, we've seen Serena Williams do incredible things to get back on the court after she gave birth. And, you know, I, I look at someone like Alex Morgan and I go, wow, this really changes her opportunity, not only with potentially playing in the Olympics, but with sponsors as well. Absolutely. And I think you look at the other athletes who may have been injured and couldn't have made a tr an Olympic trial or, you know, are, are still rehabbing a knee injury or a shoulder injury. So I think that this really, um, again, the silver lining here is an opportunity to put forth, the, you know, the best athletes when Tokyo does come around um, and to engage um, in that athlete journey and the athlete story, which is really what the compelling stories around the Olympics are all about, these people who – we don't even, in many cases, the person on the street doesn't know who they are until the Olympics. And then they see them compete and they marvel at their just their skill and their talent. And then all of a sudden they're on a Wheaties box. But before then, we didn't really know. So, like, again, that, going back to the content story and the opportunity to engage some of these athletes or athletes who potentially couldn't have competed this year, um, you know, giving them an opportunity to rehab, heal, have a baby as a mother of two, the body rebounds. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, you, you get back in shape and you get right back at it. So, um, you know, I think it's going to be a very uh, interesting story. Again, though, a really bitter pill for the athletes and the NGBs to get this news. Um, and, and certainly the USOPC, but it's, uh, it's, it's, it's the, it was the right thing to do and, um, we'll have a better, uh, truly world celebration in a year, uh, because by then we should have a vaccine for this and be able to, um, manage it. It's not going away. It's not, uh, this virus isn't necessarily going away. We're going to have to learn how to manage it right. and live with it. And that's the new world we live in. So for an Olympic sponsor, if you're looking for a make good, are, are you essentially just getting the same schedule that you would have gotten this year, but you'll get it a year later? Or what does that look like? Well, I think it depends if you're talking about the NGB level, um, the U.S. team, or, again, IOC. 
And I think that, um, you know, I was, you know, reading a little bit about what, what's going to happen with the broadcasters and that, you know, Comcast is rolling all that NBC revenue a year forward. Um, having not seen a lot of the contracts, you know, this is where, I'll be honest, if you had asked a lot of sellers, uh, salespeople over the last five years, can you recite your force majeure language? They would have said, they would have giggled and said no. And if I had said, is epidemic in your force majeure language, they would have said, oh my gosh, well, isn't that dark, or dark thinking? But the reality is all of us know what our force majeure language says now. And, uh, depending on how it's, it's written in, um, obviously, you know, uh, people prepare legally and insurance wise for cancellation. My feeling would be that this will all roll forward a year, uh, but there's certain partners that might have a very different feeling about that. And it depends on the state of their business. And I think that comes into play now where depending on the category, uh, certain categories are really in pain. Others are not. Uh, and I think it remains to be seen um, the long-term impact of this on the bottom line for companies that have nothing to, you know, nothing to do with their sports investments. We're just talking about their general business operations. So, um, the devil's in the details of the contracts at this point, so it'll all depend on what is in those specific contracts at the different levels. Yeah, you're absolutely right about the force majeure that, you know, I think up until now, most lawyers put that in there just as a, you know, cover your rear end clause. Mm-hmm. Now, anyone that would ever question that will just go COVID-19 and, and, you know, yeah. end of story. Well, 9-11. I mean, I think right. for the older ones among us, 9-11 was the one. Yeah. And I was sitting in the Philadelphia Eagles offices on 9-11 hmm. and, uh, was, you know, we, we canceled football immediately. And a weekend later, I was on a plane flying to Seattle to play a game, not play a game. I was, I was on the team, but not that, not much <laughs> on the team. Um, as I had, I one of the directors of sales at the time, um, but hosting guests. And I remember the awkwardness of like, walking up to the team charter, which we used to just walk on. And it was the first time we had to go through security walking on a team charter. And I was like, wow, the world just changed. Right. So I think force majeure for the folks that have been around a while, we understood why it existed. Um, I think you're going to see force majeure evolve during this. Um, and I think force majeure language will now be changed. It should be changed because one of the things that we as an agency have talked to a lot of our clients about is the fact that, well, you're not activating, you know, you can't activate your NFL sponsorships right now you would be tone deaf and I can't put uh, NFL team logos into stores uh, because of the fact that it would be tone deaf to a crisis. And so how does off season uh, loss of uh, the ability to activate news IP, how does that impact the force majeure? Cause the most force majeure is linked to games and play, but you're buying year round partnerships. So it's a very big conversation that's being had about what that looks like going forward so that brands can protect themselves because right now, in a lot of ways, you know, the the force majeure is stacked for the for the uh, for the teams, and um, you know, the, the the teams that are committed to their partners and understand the long term power of relationship are going to do the right thing. But they're hurting financially as well right now, and there's also just so many make goods, and I think that it's going to be an interesting conversation when everyone's really able to have that when when the teams or leagues start to announce when they're going to play again. Uh, and we can all come together and say, okay, what did we lose? What do we need to offset? And how are we going to work together? So if you're an NBA team or an NHL team and one of your sponsors comes to you and says, you know what? We're hurting right now. We cannot continue to advertise with you. We can't be a sponsor anymore. 
how do you handle that? Because again, you want to have that long-term relationship. You want to have sensitivity, but there are some companies, as you pointed out earlier, that are really hurting right now and either could use the money back that they already gave or, you know, can't pay the upcoming payment. I think that that's a really, it's a, it's a very, it's a difficult question because there's a lot of factors. It depends on where it is in the middle of the term of the contract. Uh, if someone's going to default on payment, that gets extremely legal. And at some point, the companies are going to have no choice if they're going into a, any type of bankruptcy protection. And again, I'm not talking about today, but in two months, that could be very real. Right. It could be sooner for other companies. And I think there has to be a sensitivity. And most teams at some point have dealt with a partner who has had a, um, a bankruptcy or a default. And I would say restructure. Take a deep breath, everybody. Step back. Try to figure out a way to either pause the contract and revisit it in a year and um, try to have the level heads. Because I think that the long-term relationships that are at play here are very important to the livelihood of sports teams. And also, uh, these brands have long memories. And if teams don't respond saying, let's figure this out together, I think that they'll find that brands would be very receptive if there was a way to say, let's figure out a way to either pause the contract for a year. Uh, coming from the sales side, I actually did that once in the middle of a very big scandal at a, team, at a, at a college. And we literally went to our sponsors proactively and said, um, we need to pause the contract for a year. And they all said, great. Hmm. They didn't get any benefits. They didn't pay any money. And in one year, that partner was like, you guys are great. We're back in. So it was agreed to in writing. So I think that there's a lot of, uh, a lot of give and take to be had. And I think if teams can say to a partner who might be in a financial situation where they're laying off employees, they're, they're not producing or, or, or serving their products, um, some compassion right here could go a long way and lead to very long-term relationships that are mutually beneficial. Yeah, I've been saying that the last few weeks on this show is everyone is going to make mental note of the companies that are doing the right thing right now versus the companies that are taking advantage of people. And coming out of this, you know, like I, I read the other day, uh, the Four Seasons and JetBlue are flying nurses and doctors to New York. They're putting them up for free. Brilliant. Those are companies I'm going to go, you know what? I'm going to support those companies in some way, shape, or form because they're doing the right thing business-wise. There's a lot of other companies too. Uh, Bauer Hockey is making masks for doctors now and nurses instead of hockey masks. So, you know, there's a lot of innovation coming out of this too. But I think you bring up a good point because we are going to remember as consumers because really at the end of the day, that's what this all comes down to, right? If you're a sponsor of a sporting event, you want to be memorable to the consumer and if you're not memorable in a good way to the consumer, it's a fail, right? You bet. And I mean, that's why we're, you know, we're, when, when teams are working with brands, they're, they're, they're kind of sharing their brand passion and their brand equity, right? And so, for example, right now, all of our clients have gone silent on social as it pertains to pretty much everything that's entertainment, fun, sports-based, because they're focusing on their customers and their employees. They're focusing on making sure that people are safe and that people have what they need to weather this storm. And so throwing in something that, like when I read about Bauer and what they were doing, I thought this is so terrific for them that they can have an authentic 
moment in social media doing something that is truly terrific. And they don't need really a team or the league or anyone to, to add value to that because they've add, added value just inherently in what, what their business is about and, and what they've chosen to do. But I think people need to be very cautious about um, going out on social right now where there isn't an authentic connection. You know, we've had conversations with several teams saying, hey, what can we do? Let's do something. And I said, you know, unless walking in with a player and a coach or, or something that signifies your team as an option, we can't do that right now. A, we'll, we'll look irresponsible. But down the road, perhaps we can. But when, when we start to get on the other side of flattening this curve, that's when we can start to potentially do outreach and do nice things for Again, the, the EMTs that are truly the first people meeting some of these these um, these these uh, patients, and then the folks that are in the ER and the folks that are in uh, the ICU. Like we can't wait to help and do things for them, but right now, what we need to all do is stay home. And so, being able to do it authentically and social, I think it's hard for brands right now. They want to, but they don't want to appear tone deaf and in, in, uh, inconsiderate of what the people are sick and people are dying, and we need to keep our eye on the ball on this. Yes, absolutely. Um, we have a lot of team people that listen to this show and teams are trying their best right now to retain their staff. There are a lot of sponsorship people that listen to this show. What would your advice be to those people who have never been in a situation like this? And again, you've got to navigate this so you're not tone deaf and you're not reaching out for the wrong reasons, but is there any sponsor recruitment going on right now? Has that all shut down? And if you were a sponsor person at a team and you're listening to this, what's your advice? It's interesting. We, uh, we as an agency kind of went through this in early March and, uh, you know, on March 13th, I remember sitting down at my desk, uh, and, and basically, uh, saying to my, my team, you know how we always talked about someday when we have a rainy day, we need to work on that project. Well, it's raining. Right. And now is the time to look inside and look at our infrastructure. And if I was running a sales team, I would, A, be having daily Zooms with my team, which I know a lot of the teams we work with, they're bringing together their sales and service people. Uh, some of them are younger, and they haven't been through something like this before. And just having that looking in the eyes of someone who cares about you and other teammates really important for team continuity. But I think it's also about looking at how can we do business better? How can we look at our inventory, our marketing platforms? Let's bring, have a fun brainstorm, perhaps with a little cocktail at five o'clock on Wednesdays <laughs> to brainstorm interesting social concept ideas that we can just put in the toolbox for later. Uh, I said, everyone update your outlook. Everybody mind LinkedIn. Reach out to old friends, figure out, you know, you, you know, when I have like 4,000 contacts in my outlook and I said, gosh, I don't even know if half these people are still where they are. And I started to mine my LinkedIn and realized people had moved. And I was like, oh, I didn't know he was the CMO of this now. Good for him. You send a note because it's a friend. You send outreach to current partners to say anything we can do, let us know. Um, if there's anything we can do to support your employees, let us know. And just that outreach goes so far. Um, as well as, you know, going and out and doing cold calling right now, I think is very difficult. Now, I'm sitting in Philadelphia right now, and you're on the West Coast. And I think what we have to be sensitive to is certain parts of the country haven't been hit as hard in the center um, or haven't locked down their states yet. Um, it kind of feels like business as usual, and they're watching the coasts react. 
So there may be situations where you can still have a little bit of an outreach, but I think it has to be uh, tempered to the effect of, I don't want to lose sight. It's a very awkward time for outreach, period. Okay, I said that. I'm so sorry. I don't mean to offend, but I, some people are kind of doing business as usual. And um, while we don't need to talk about transacting a deal right now, I'd love to get acquainted and just talk to you and understand what you're up to. A lot of us are working from home. It's a nice time to reach out and connect with new people. I think it has to be soft. But otherwise, I'd focus on getting their infrastructure and their house in order so that when the time does come to have the make good conversations and figure out what things are going to look like or if we have to create events in the summer, if I'm an NBA team or an NHL team, to be able to offset the fact that all that in-stadium, in-arena signage, rather, nobody saw because all the games were played to empty buildings. We... XYZ NBA team are going to create a summer festival. Again, we can't, depending on social distancing rules, or we're going to create a virtual summer festival or whatever it might be, or a fall festival, and we're going to use that to in make goods um, to provide value. And we're going to film it, and we're going to stream it, and we're going to this. So I think there's a lot of brainstorming that can occur right now to prepare for Q3. And, um, and again, outreach in a, in a sensible way, uh, I think can be done, but it just has to warm introductions are still always the best way. No, I agree. That's very good advice. Uh, before I let you go, look into your crystal ball. Cause everyone's trying to do that right now. Again, we've never been in a situation like this, but what are your predictions for the future of live sports after COVID-19? Obviously lots of chat about this. Um, I think that when the, the teams that have suspended play as of now, they will come back, play either abbreviated seasons or tournament-type playoff uh, seasons. They're not going to be fans in those buildings. I think that as we move through the summer months towards football, I think that we will start to resume, resume some type of normalcy. I think you're going to see hand sanitation um, and hand sanitizer stations throughout buildings probably forever now in a different way than we've ever had them before. And really thinking, you know, social distancing is not something that we as human beings and especially as Americans can do for a year. Um, it's, it's not, uh, I just don't think it's possible. Now that is my opinion. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a government official, but the reality is we all right now are kind of starving to be with other people and celebrate whether it's family birthdays, the Easter egg hunt that we're not, you know, the Passover, um, dinner, all these different things. We're not able to come together for those. So when they do allow us out, I think sports is going to be a massive unifier, we will come together. We will get back to our old normal where we're sitting shoulder to shoulder with fans in arenas and stadiums and we're cheering on our teams. It will just be people will need to be mindful of. We're using, we're washing our hands a little more. We're using hand sanitizer more. Um, and they'll eventually get this, this virus under control from a standpoint of vaccine and treatment. Uh, but I do feel that we will be going back to normal, going to football stadiums. The NFL, I know, has announced they're they're ready to they're they're staying the course. They will adjust based on how this virus develops uh, into the summer potentially. They'll make good choices for their athletes and their fans. But I have hope that we will be able to go back into you know section 105, row 19, sitting next to the people that you sit next to at whatever uh, team you own season tickets to, and you know raising the pennant in the air and cheering again. Yeah, let's hope. Uh, you know, the sooner the better, but 
you know, I was just reading a story in the Wall Street Journal this morning and it talked about a soccer match with 40,000 fans. And a lot of people think that was the epicenter for Italy's outbreak because 40,000 people yeah. got brought together. A lot of them got sick. A lot of them spread COVID-19. And I think that's the fear of every league and sports entity right now is that you bring people together too early and something like that spreads really quickly and, and you have hot spots. But, you know, we are going to return to normal at some point. I do think much like 9-11, there's going to be a hard reset on some things. Um, is it going to be mm-hmm. taking your temperature as you get onto an airplane with, you know, the little the little temperature gun that points at your forehead and can tell you your temperature. Um, yep. There's going to be some measures taken coming out of this. And I think, like you said, that force majeure language is going to change and it's going to be modified and people are never going to laugh at that clause in a contract again. But uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how long this takes. I think the other thing, Molly, that's so challenging is, as you pointed out earlier in the conversation, not everyone in the United States is in the same spot with this at this moment. Like there are, you know, New York is a hot spot. Uh, Washington state is a hot spot. Florida and Louisiana are hot spots. Who knows how this is going to move its way across the country? And, you know, could we see instances where, uh, there have to be some neutral games? I know the NBA has talked about playing the playoffs in Las Vegas. And quarantining everyone and doing it, you know, just in a central location where no one has to travel and, you know, everyone has doctors right there. And, you know, that opens up all kinds of other conversations with sponsors, right? Like who are the sponsors that get to activate? Is it only league sponsors? Can teams activate? How do they do that? So I think a lot of the executives right now are looking at every scenario possible and trying to prepare for those scenarios if they, in fact, take place. Yeah, you know, just talking with with folks, uh, contacts across the different leagues, I said that like two, three weeks ago that they should fly to one of these universities that's closed down where they've got housing for all the athletes, for the all the NBA players, all the NBA coaches play in one arena, plenty of black basketball facilities for training, um, you know, almost do a two-week training camp to get these guys back game ready. Because while we'd love to think these professional athletes are home running five miles a day, working out on whatever equipment they have at home, they're probably not. Right. <laughs> and we don't want these multi-million dollar investments to hurt themselves or take, you know, have five guys tear an ACL on the first game. But that idea of that neutral location, I, you know, we've already kind of run through in our head. Home, home, you know, whose home game is it? Those are the sponsors that are running on the court side. When it gets into the finals, you start to treat it just like you would and it's just the venue changes. Otherwise, you're treating it, uh, you know, like a like a home game for that whichever team it was. Obviously, hospitality's gone. There's not going to be people in these buildings. That would be irresponsible, and I think every league knows that. I think the only time that we're going to be able to bring people back into buildings is probably in in the fall for the NFL, because I think by then we'll have a really good handle on where this is, and um, it would be, uh, you know, it's not out of the question that the NFL would decide we're going to play some games to empty buildings. Um, and I think that there's enough offset for certain sponsorship elements that you could shift and have value for teams. And then and at certain occasions, depending on the asset mix for the brand deal, you might have to say, guess what? We're going to give you a refund. We're either going to refund X percent per game because we can't provide certain signage that's meant to target the in-arena or in-stadium audience, or we're going to apply credits to the next season 
which as a brand, I would say, I'll take the credit because then it'll actually help my budget, depending on, you know, the financial viability of the company. If they're in desperate need of cash, it's a different story. But if it's a company that's fairly okay and sound and still operating in some way, shape, or form, a credit to that next year's contract could actually help me from a budget planning standpoint for the next year. Molly Arbogast, the president and CEO of POV Sports Marketing. Find her online at povsportsmarketing.com. She's on Twitter at Molly Arbogast1. Molly, thank you so much. I'm sure we could probably talk about this for hours and, you know, try and figure out where everyone's at. But this is really insightful and I appreciate you joining me. Thrilled to be here today. Thanks so much and stay healthy. You too. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Open Doors helps athletes share content on social. Founded in 2012 by two former Nebraska football players, Open Doors has become the world's leading athlete marketing platform. More than 6,000 athletes around the world use Open Doors to receive content from partners and publish to their personal social channels like Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, all with one click. Open Doors makes it easier than ever before for brands, including sponsors and licensees and properties, to push approved content through the players' social channels. Leading sports organizations like the PGA Tour, NFL Players Association, Major League Baseball Players Association, the LPGA, and dozens of professional and collegiate sports teams use the platform to send video highlights, photos, GIFs, and more to athletes. The publishing process is very easy and convenient. Once registered, athletes receive a text message when their team, league, or brand partner has content for them to share on social media. The athlete simply reviews the content and hits approve. Open Doors does the rest. If you're an athlete, start using Open Doors as a tool today to build your personal brand and maximize your value on social media. If you're a brand trying to connect with athletes who you thought you'd never be able to gain access to on your own, Open Doors is your solution. Open Doors makes athletes more accessible to the people who support them. Visit opendoors.com or follow them on social media at Open Doors. Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to our show staff, Brian Griggs and Josh Blank. Thanks to our friends at Boingo Wireless for powering our Sports Business Radio Roadshow. Follow them online at boingo.com or on Twitter at Boingo. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio. This and every SBR podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and your favorite listening app. Follow Sports Business Radio on Facebook, Twitter at SB Radio, Instagram at Sports Business Radio, and online at sportsbusinessradio.com.